On August 15, 1982, in Chicago, two teenagers, Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard, were murdered in Washington Park. Anthony Porter was convicted of the crime and sentenced to death. Hours before his execution, Northwestern University journalism students who were reinvestigating Porter's case, led by their professor, David Protest, overturned Porter's conviction. Their evidence, another man named All Story Simon had confessed to the crime. It was a fairy tale ending for Porter. There was only one problem. It was all a lie. The student's investigation came under scrutiny when All Story Simon claimed his confession had been coerced by, detective, by the detective working with the students, Paul Cialino, and taken when he was under the influence of a long crack cocaine binge. Other witnesses claimed they had fingered All Story Simon only, only after they had been offered favors as well as book deal money, maybe some movie money by David Protest. This saga has now been rewritten with the by the Murder With My Husband True Crime podcast. And joining me to discuss is returning guest, probably <laughs> the most returning guest, uh, William Ramsey of the William Ramsey Investigates podcast. Welcome, William Ramsey. Roberta, great to be with you again. Thanks for the invite. So uh, first off, what did you think after you watched Murder With My Husband? Uh, their take on this Anthony Porter. Uh, it's really about Anthony Porter, not so much about All Story Simon, but about the whole, about his whole conviction reversal. Very interesting. I think that they, uh, you know, uh, pretty curious stuff. I mean, what's your take on it? I definitely watched the, that whole uh, uh, pod, the, the documentary again, but the I couldn't get through the whole thing of these two. What's your take on you it? You couldn't get the how far did you get? Half. <laughs> how far did you get? Five um, minutes. Yeah, no, but I, I watched the other documentary in the entirety. Yeah. So what's your take on it? That's partially why I felt really guilty because I hate calling anyone dumb, but this is the dumbest take of all time. Because so most people don't read in this day and age, and Martin Pribe has written a great book called Crooked City about it that I recommend to everybody. He also has a new podcast. It's in the description of this show. And also, I've done some great shows about this case with him. There's also a playlist. So if anybody wants to go, definitely subscribe to uh, his podcast and um, read his book. But if you're not going to read a book, there is an entire documentary that shows you exactly the way this fraud went down fraud in my opinion <laughs> went down right. exactly it was showing you footage of people telling you why they did what they did why they recanted why they didn't come forward i mean like in detail how this fraud went down for free <laughs> on youtube why with all the actors too it? right with all the people involved are in it Alstory, right and, so it's uh, not just laziness. Um, it really looked like she was determined. She put her down. So when I say she, it is a wife Eaton. husband duo um, from Utah. I, I've heard that they got married in a, a Mormon ceremony. And the wife, Peyton, is really enthusiastic. She's the one holding the notebook, really narrating the whole thing and her husband Garrett is sitting there with his baseball cap pulled down below his eyes just he looks like he's the reaction guy I guess he's the color commentary right. and um and I was interested in finding out something else about them and Peyton describes herself that she's always been a true crime fan because she grew up watching Law and Order and CSI. Well, neither go. of those shows are true crime shows. I know that the subject is true crime, but they're fictional shows. So I thought to myself, this is already a woman who has trouble 
differentiating between what's fact and fiction. Not the kind of eye you want for uh, true crime, but okay. I can't They're say very, very uh, well rocked. They have like what, the quarter million uh, subscribers on YouTube? Yes. So. Very much. They have they have the typical, almost the quintessential YouTuber background, right? <laughs> with kind of dark and uh, you know, with the interesting things to look at behind them, and their dogs are their cute dogs are bouncing around. Right. But why do this case, and why now? And it's an interesting timing because Paul Cialino, who's the detective who all story Simon accused of coercing his con confession he has he's his lawsuit is now in discovery so he's suing paul cialino this detective is suing a whole host of people including all story simon basically anyone who tells this side of the story the murder in the park the crooked city version of this story they're uh getting sued by millions with a very famous lawyer jennifer bonjean who overturned bill cosby's conviction She's representing R. Kelly, and she um, has a whole background in, in the wrongful conviction exoneration industry. Right. And these, this is podcast, is, I think, is in the top 1,000 podcasts in the world. So they're super well listened to. So this is kind right. of like another Tim Pool, uh, Joe <laughs> right. Rogan, Amanda Knox situation. And it makes a great title. So I think, what is it? 50 hours, guys exonerated. And first of all, when your conviction is overturned, I don't know if that's an exoneration. And when Porter went to the courts looking for money, which is always the second step of innocence fraud, they were like, you're not getting a cent, <laughs> not a penny right. for you. You're lucky. No you're." Job. And he just died two years ago. The rumor was he was, he was a, gone back to his life as a pimp he od'd wow. uh he died of an od so i wonder how yeah, and he, he was like a he was like a known thug on the streets of chicago like in that area right. where the murders happened they everybody right. just knew his name and that he was a tough guy so yeah, legendary known for his violence and a, and his real psychopathic behavior so so, right, where so, she, so, well, so uh, she says also she puts her sources and her sources are almost entirely the left wing Chicago media, like the Chicago Tribune, like all the people who love to write about these wrongful, uncritically about these wrongful conviction stories, not so much the, the transcripts. She does reference one appeal, but she doesn't bring up the the most damning part of that appeal, which is that Anthony Porter already had a conviction for robbing a guy in the park in 19, four years right. before this. Right. <laughs> so, so he, he had a known to be in the park yeah. of doing this. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that they conveniently go over, which she probably didn't mention is that there were six witnesses that witnessed him right. in that area where the shooting happened. Very brutal shooting. Guy was shot twice in the head. The, uh, I think it was Jerry Hiller was shot in the head and then Marilyn got a shot in like her trachea, like really rough. And she, right. so very, very brutal stuff. And uh, the witnesses were there, but they're also like this story is really kind of like the microcosm of the innocence fraud industrial complex, because you just saw these guys get involved, protest and things like that, who under you know, uh, their depositions, they conveniently left out the witnesses, the key component. So you see that same thing happen in so many of these cases, whether it's Adnan Syed, West Memphis 3. It's just these people overlooking uh, very readily accessible and available components of some of these court cases. That and led to really it, tragic consequences, especially was, for Alstory, yeah. Definitely. And I thought it was interesting that it took on, she basically repeated the investigation of the Northwestern journalism students herself in her own podcast. So they say in the documentary, six witnesses became one witness. And that's exactly what happened in her YouTube video. The six witnesses all disappeared and became 
one witness and that witness gets heavily criticized for redaction. So there's so many ingredients in innocence fraud, but one of the advantages they have is that they make things really simple. So the truth tends to be really complicated. There's lots of reasons why this, that, that happened. The details of the evidence here, this is just a story of the wrong guy, right guy confessed, end of story. And right. you can tell it like in a and, second, but to tell and the, the witness retracted story, quite some time. Right. The witness retracted too, right? So it's very simple. We already had the witness, William, uh, what was it? William Taylor. We mm -hmm. already had him sign and, and did never hear anything behind the scenes of coercion, duress, pressure, anything like that on, on both of these guys, whether it was uh, William Taylor or Alstory. Uh, what was his last name? Simon. Story, Simon, story Simon. Yeah. And they say in the in the middle, like she has like the weirdest way of, of describing violence for, so she was talking about, so right before Anthony Porter killed Marilyn Green and Jerry Hillard, he went up to rob this other witness, Henry Williams. And this is the way she describes it. She says he, he comes up to him in not a friendly manner He's holding a gun and asks Williams for money. <laughs> he just asks him for some money and not in a friendly way. That's a called being robbed at gunpoint. Right. <laughs> takes $2 out of my pants pockets. Right. Without my, and so he took uh, $2 and said, you got, got all, I'm letting you off easy is what Anthony Porter. These guys knew Anthony Porter from the neighborhood. They knew his reputation and they were afraid of him. So when the police take both Williams and Taylor into custody, they talk to them. They claim for a 17 hour of 17. They keep them in custody for 17 hours, which I had never heard before. And in that time, they took them out to eat. So what they're trying to so what the murder with my husband podcast is trying to do is that they're trying to set up that under all this time, 17 hours, these two witnesses falsely uh, falsely pinpointed Anthony Porter, but they had really good uh, eyesight. Uh, Anthony Porter ran right by uh, Taylor. It, what, I, that's not a false confession. That's a reluctant witness. <laughs> that's not a false confession scenario. Right. But I mean, these guys, the, the witnesses never changed their story. Right. Until kind of the involvement of the Northwestern journalism guys. Right. So they right. they were not questions about anything. There was never any questions. It was only till 15 years later that this whole thing happened with protests and things like that. I don't even know what happened to protests. He apparently has. He's so running the Chicago Innocence Project right now. It's, it's kind of like the, the website's just a simple template. There's, it's not an active thing. It just has oh, really? things. That, yeah, it doesn't have a reference to his name. doesn't have anything specific on it. Go check it out. It's just yeah. like a catch-all for like uh, law and order type articles. Huh, interesting. Yeah, so maybe very, the, like they're not active. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be active. <laughs> Chicago Innocence Project. Don't go to them uh, for help because they're yeah. not too active. And so Taylor's reluctance has to do... Uh, with Porter's reputation, but then um, the victim's mom, Marilyn Green's mom, comes on the scene uh, after Porter is convicted, and <laughs> she she knows who who did it. She thinks, oh, and actually, before Porter's convicted, she thinks that it's all story Simon, this kind of more gentle guy, neighborhood guy, and. And the police look into it and see where it goes and it doesn't go, go anywhere. And Anthony Porter gets convicted. But at Anthony Porter's trial, he has two witnesses. Can you, and they're both, one is his brother's girlfriend and the other one is his friend. And, they, and his friend gets destroyed on the stand. And their version of that is like to just ignore that he got destroyed on the stand and say, oh, well, oh, well, why didn't, why did Anthony Porter get convicted? Because he had no alibis. He had very strong witnesses and he had a pattern of, I don't know if he could even bring in this pattern of doing this, but he had a, he had 
pled guilty while he was waiting to go on trial. He pled guilty to another crime where he had walked by a guy's dog, kicked his dog. And the guy said, why did you kick my dog? And he shot him in the head. The guy miraculously lived. It grazed his forehead. And he pled guilty to that crime. So, I mean, it's just incredible. They they bring that up and they're like, oh, yeah, they just call that aggravated. They don't go into any of the details, which is another thing with innocence fraud. They just call it aggravated uh, (laughs) battery. He pled guilty. And I mean, this case itself was not just a case. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened to be very crucial in turning the governor to uh, overturning all of the death penalty cases in Illinois because of the so-called fraud involved in this. The real fraud is the opposite. Like, and it's very important. This plays out in all this innocent fraud is that the cops always get besmirched. They get belittled. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing happened in West Memphis three. We even saw it just in this last one we did last interview we did about Tim pool and Eccles where it's always these, you know, police guys. I think one of the police guys actually did it. Right. So uh, the same thing happened with these guys. Their careers were put in, you know, in, mm. uh, in question, and they suffered professional, uh, you know, negative professional results or happenings because of what happened in this case. So with the involvement of all this innocence fraud. So I think it's an important point that this, this case changed a lot of things in Illinois. Right. And once you get on the, once you have a death penalty case, there's, so many organizations who are willing to help out the money is enormous and the power is enormous and they will go to great lengths to you know overturn your conviction try to um, look at what happened with julius jones i mean the innocence project in that case tested his dna uh tested the dna they said oh we're going to test the bandana and and that will show the real killer. And it comes back with their client, Julius Jones's DNA. They don't walk away. They just keep pushing innocence. Right. And still his conviction um, gets downgraded <laughs> to, right. to life without parole from. from so it worked. Uh, it worked in those cases. And I suppose it worked in this case, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there was tons of money involved that the public never saw. There were talks about book deals and quarter million dollars to you and uh, all this kind of back thing like, Oh, we're going to get a great book deal. Protest was involved in that based upon his stuff. And there, there, they, there was definitely a publicity component to this because protest, you could see him in this uh, documentary where he's like, Oh yeah. There, what did he say? He says like, there's indisputable evidence of innocence, right? Mm-hmm. Says, there's no evidence against Anthony Porter. That's not true. It was a false public statement. He said that. And eventually he got in trouble. I think he said that they eventually, like, he got busted for altering records and misrepresenting another case. Right. The, yeah, right. So this was his thing is, is high, you know, he knew how to work these cases. And this wasn't the case that Northwestern, um, this what what they looked at all his cases and said they had real concerns about him. And that's my understanding of how they parted ways. So right. like um, he, he, he was suspended and then he retired. Right. Like, right. That to me is uh, very telling. I'm not going to say why those, but, those kind of uh, things happen, but sometimes <laughs> you, I wouldn't say in this case, I don't know, but a lot of times it's like, well, we can go this route or you can retire. I'm not saying that happened to him specifically. But. <laughs> also Porter liked to, so Taylor, so Taylor basically comes out and sa- says he testifies against, uh, Porter, and he and he explains his reluctance to tell the cops that that was Anthony Porter he saw in the the park that night because Anthony Porter had robbed elderly people. He had seen him rob elderly people. He lived with his grandmother. He was worried for his grandmother's well being, and so they treat that that like that's a suspicious recantation, but that's really a reluctance with a reluctance to tell the truth with a really good reason behind it that makes sense um these recantations that come later don't seem to make any sense come out of the blue and don't seem to make any sense but you can see the influence of the innocence project these youtubers are talking about that the state at the trial the state offered no forensic evidence this is 1980 
83, maybe 80, um, 83, 84. Yeah. My understanding right. is DNA yeah. testing wasn't a thing. No, no not until the 90s. Yeah, mid-90s. That's what I thought. Right. So they, but they say no blood foot, um, no blood or footprints. Um, how would, how could you prove that Anthony Porter did this crime using blood and, and his, his footprints of his shoes? How would you know in the dark at 11 o'clock at night, how would you be able to identify what shoes he was wearing? And how are you, how are you going to be dusting for prints in a public park? And how is the blood trail going to tell anything when the victim went to the police with her throat shot and said, I was, you know, it was him like pointed to the park. Good point. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think six witnesses who all said they saw the guy there is pretty gosh darn good. And certainly the jury did, right? So it was unanimous mm -hmm. in the conviction. So this is like another example. It's not just the innocence fraud, in my opinion, that took place mm -hmm. in this case. It's everything that you've kind of been up against is this true false crime, true crime, right? Where they're yeah. just... Uh, I know it's a good. Great. It's a good gig. I got to tell you, it's a really good gig. I should have gone into just straight true crime. <laughs> And just BS because I could have been in the top, you know, 1,000 of, of these right. podcasts in the world. I actually caught one of the top true crime podcasts. It was uh, my favorite murder. I could have mm -hmm. swore they were reading off of WikiLeaks. I mean, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. They were literally reading a court case off of Wikipedia. Yeah, so. It's wild. And they, and they said uh, the state's case is entirely on eyewitnesses, which is which started out to be one of the first things that the Innocence Project attacked. Now they'll attack any of any kind of evidence. Um, I just posted a tweet about how now they're attacking DNA evidence, which is so bizarre. That's but bizarre. <laughs> what they do is, and you can really see it in this documentary, is they never say, they never give up. They will hound you. If you're a, a witness to one of these crimes, they will hound you, guilt you, tell you they have an innocent person that they're going to die of. They're going to be executed be because of you. <laughs> and what? it works so often. I see so many of these cases with a really strong eyewitness turn, you know, turn. Right. They, they turned William them. Taylor. He just wanted him to go away. They just hammered him right. for so long. And this is just another element of this kind of false crime environment is like, these guys are like really trying to, uh, they're third parties out of the court system, trying to manipulate evidence out of that. That's happening. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of Bob Ruff, actually, was just like, you know, <laughs> the whole West Memphis 3, where you're just like trying the case yourself. Like you're not even a trained professional. You know, these judges <laughs> and these prosecutors all have training and pass the bar, and you're just out there, you know, dipping pigs in water like a, like a charlatan, in my opinion. So, that's the other thing about these cases is they're like this. That's where the unethical behavior, in my opinion, of these Northwestern professor particularly, I think he's mostly guilty. But right. The, so it all builds. So the journalists, journalists are very ambitious and they want a big story. And you and if you save someone from death row that you're in the pool for the big awards and the, the, lots of attention and more money. So they want to build their careers. So they have. <laughs> they have incentive right. to right. to get on board. The experts, like someone say, like a private investigator, the money is very good, and it's exciting work because something's always happen something's always happening. And um, so it I think we could call it an innocent. Itself. I think we could call it an innocence fraud complex, kind of like mm -hmm. uh, the military industrial complex. Like it's a complex of different actors all working together getting mutual kind of some kind of benefit out of it, whether it's like stroking their egos, financial, uh, career advancement, things like that happening all over in so many of these cases, whether like they're getting a lot of these like uh, celebrities are doing it for clout, right? Oh, I'm clout, this also program. right. And it's also, it's great to say what a great kind of person you are. I'm concerned with innocent killers. Somehow that's, that's, yes is the thing that impresses the public not working with victims. But if you're working with prisoners, look at Kim Kardashian. She's making uh, a career out of it. And she does cases that are so disturbing. Not like this one isn't, but just 
really the worst of the worst. People have killed babies and mothers. I mean, I'm thinking Purvis Payne is one of the worst cases. And she's out there hugging these people and visiting with them in jail and telling people not to judge them by the worst mistake they've ever made. Yeah, no, it's very strange. It's very strange how these things get twisted, too. Like, it's just... So so besides not in, in <laughs> investigating the witnesses, also this team of, of, of journalism students... They also had the wrong area of the park and the park had been redone. So when they did, had been redone. So it wasn't the same as it was in the eighties. So that's, they based their new evidence on being in the wrong part of the park. So the sight lines were wrong and, and, and construction, new construction. But right. And they went and visited Porter. They went and visited Porter and he looked him in the eye and said, didn't do it. Okay. Well, uh, you know, throw away the court case. He said he's innocent. They all say they're innocent, by the way. Almost nobody in jail says they're right. guilty. So why so. does that? Why is that such a powerful line? Why does the press like to repeat they've always maintained their innocence? I just just looking at a case from Maine, uh, just Shane today, and that guy confessed. He got convicted, and now the line of his supporters is he's maintained his innocence since he was convicted. How, why is that so convincing to, to people? Does anybody have any ideas? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, because I that's the majority. Not to me. Especially right. if you've gone through this providentiary process that a court case represents. You've gone through the whole process from gathering evidence to indictment to trial to, you know, the jury to conclusion. Like, they've gone through the whole thing. Why do people discount that? Even if somebody says they're innocent. A lot of people, I mean... And it's, it's just, just the like, credulousness of the public, too. I don't know what's going on. It's just like what we went through with um, Adnan Syed. Is when, right. when his conviction just got reinstated, the press is writing, how can a, a victim's family um, basically, basically get in the way of this wonderful exoneration of Adnan Syed? That was Slate's position. And the guardian was like, oh, don't worry, guys. It'll he's innocent, so it'll end up the same way. And I'm not so sure it will. I'm not saying he's going back to prison, but I'm not so sure it will end up the same way. But the it's very similar to this case is in that when Anthony Porter was released from prison, there were the cameras. Same with Adnan. That seems to be you always have to have the cameras there when they walk out of <laughs> Out of the, right, out of no, it's so true. Like the public, uh, the media uh, PR element is very important. And there's that re- really, really weird like hug between Anthony Porter and uh, protest too. And he's so happy, protest. It's just right. so strange. He's jumping on him. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I mean, just his statements, he really, I think in my opinion, he went off the deep end, that protest guy. For whatever reason, I think that they said, didn't they say that, he was really an anti-death penalty advocate. Like that was his whole view. So he really, mm-hmm. yeah, it was outside whether, well, he wasn't as interested as whether Anthony Porter was innocent or not. He just wanted to make sure he didn't get the death penalty. So right. that may have been his like real, the crux and you, of life. You see that with the sister Helen Prejean, the nun. I think I wonder if this anti-death penalty movement thinks that because a life is at stake and they like to really play that up and say the state is about to kill them. That people who believe that the sentence should be carried out, death penalty sentence are bloodthirsty. They like to talk about the bloodthirsty mob and all that stuff. But I think that they think this is my thinking on it. Why sister Helen Prejean promotes so many untruths is that they think that, a life's at stake. So that then that frees you up to do anything. You're saving lives. Right. They're saving a life. Mm-hmm. It's kind of their arguments to me don't make sense. I'm not really, I, I don't think it's really a pro or anti-death penalty, but to have like a, a jurors, 12 people say you get the death penalty is not a mob. And they're usually sequestered in a kind of room to think about it. Like, mm-hmm. is this what fits the crime? He cold-bloodedly, Porter, in my opinion, went up cold-bloodedly and killed two people for nothing. So, they, you know, if these people have a reasonable belief that he deserves that exact same penalty, 
then I think that that's 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 just to me. I don't I don't believe the state should be in the real. You know, like is that great to kill people? Like it's mm-hmm. like a pro death penalty, right? Like I don't right. I don't feel like that's it. But if that's the proper response of people who've seen the case and that's the penalty, then that's it. Do you think that if they get rid of the death penalty, life without parole is going to be their next target? Or do you think? These days, who knows what's going on with the court system in these states? But yeah, probably. I mean, I think they're going to try to minimize long-term jail sentences for violent criminals, which is a huge mistake. It seems like I I was listening to Alvin Bragg saying that basically it seems like 20 years is like his limit for, for, for... For anything. Right. For wanting to sentence people, like no matter what you did, he was like bragging about a really disturbing case that he got 22 years for. People were like, that was it. (laughs) So. Right. Hey, and the other thing is that he can go back seven years ago and charge you for stuff he did seven years ago. That's what he's doing for Trump. Stuff he did in 2016. So. It's just really hard because nobody, like it's a joke. If you say, I'm going to call the police, someone would laugh in your face in New York right now, because it's just they're just so overworked and there's so few of them and good luck getting a, even an indictment (laughs) for anything in this city. So it's just a little hard right now, but I mean, is there, it's really Gotham. It really is Gotham, New York city right now. (laughs) It's like, there's a Gotham or something, bunch of. So the one thing is Inez Fox, who was all story Simon's ex-wife. She pins, she she does a tape confession and immediately protests, sends that confession, not to the DA, not, not to someone who can, who can consider Porter's conviction. The first place he sends it is, I believe, CBS News. So it's like right away he knows that the most powerful thing he can do is send it to the media and that the public will be outraged and that will put enough pressure on the court. So I guess what I got from looking at, (laughs) looking at this YouTubers take on Anthony Porter is how integral the press is in this because they don't have the same standards as the court. You can't get in trouble for lying to the press. You can't get in trouble for any of that. It's just, and and it's a way of getting your way in, in court. And it's just like uh, Giolino. He openly said he didn't have the same standards by the Supreme Court of the United States. They have the same standards as the court. So he's operating kind of in a much different legal environment than the court system has to abide by. And I also saw parallels between this case and the West Memphis Three, kind of like the bitter ex-wife framing the husband, like uh, Hobbs and Terry Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So I saw. I also saw the kind of disparity of sophistication in this case, much like the West Memphis three where the parents may not have, or the general environment where the crime took place, the people may not have been making the best decisions or getting, you know, crisis managers or something like that. And I kind of saw the same thing with Ostery, Simon and stuff like that. And William Taylor, like if somebody came up and did that to me, I would call a lawyer right away. I would call the cops. I would get out and start recording uh, they so came like, in saying they were the cops. They eventually, right. to all story, Simon, he'd been smoking crack. They said we were cops from Chicago investigating a case. And that was something that the documentary alleges. At one time, they say David Protest said that Ciolini, he introduced uh, Ciolino as Jerry Bruckheimer. Right. <laughs> he was right. out to get a movie deal for movie money. So, but it's an extraordinarily um, brazen statement, and that it went over on them is also very telling. Like, I would go, that's not Jerry Bruckheimer. Like, I know right. what he looks like. Right. But, yeah, I mean, also, like, the just the media, the importance of the media sophistication, I think it was protest, too. Like, so they're going to the media, but also getting these uh, confessions on tape. So mm-hmm. you see this kind of uh, disparity in skills between protests and Cialino and this kind of hapless guy, I'll story who they ruined his life. You know, it's, it's a tragedy. He didn't for it. sure. For sure. And then they said, don't worry, we'll get you a lawyer. And it, it was very interesting. His, his religious uh, figure, I can't remember if it was a, was it a 
Minister oh, it was uh, Braun, Braun, B-R-A-U-N, yeah. <laughs> so get rid of that lawyer. He's not helping you at all. So they got him a lawyer that um, yeah, Jack alleging working against yeah. his best interest. Yeah. Basically, and they said, make sure you apologize. Everything was how it looked. So if all story Simon gives an interview and he apologizes for killing Marilyn Green and Jerry Hiller to the journalist, it looks way better. It's it really cements it. So all the time they say they're working for your best interest, all story, but really they're working for Porter's best interest and to cement this myth. Right. And Perfect. you know, you wonder if this if this YouTube video is part of cementing the myth. It's been a long time and just reviving the myth. Because it was an odd thing, just like in um Adnan Syed's case, where Syed's conviction was vacated, but Jay Wilds was still on the books. So here you have an accessory to a crime. He's an to a to a man who's now not involved in the crime. How does that work? It was just stuck there. And same thing with All Story Simon and Anthony Porter. They both got out. They were both on the exonerations list. So the Innocence Project was celebrating this great success with both of them. But it can't be both of them. They both couldn't have committed the crime. Right. Right. No, and it's a good thing. It's a court of public opinion, right? So these cases are being retried in the court of public opinion, which does not even have, you know, it's like a 100,000 times more reach than your average court. Or nobody reads the court documents. But they'll watch <laughs> the show. It's in the top 1,000 of... Uh, podcast in the world so so you can tell what she puts in so she puts in when Inez points the finger at Simon but when on her deathbed she got very concerned about her soul and she got the cameras there and said I'm recanting and here I was very mad with all story I thought I could help my nephew who was in prison with Porter and she basically exposed the entire thing, how it went down and why she accused All Story Simon. And that's never included in this. And I was looking and every comment is like, this is great. What a story. <laughs> Nobody looked into it. Nobody checked it out. It's amazing. These guys get away with like, I mean, I don't know what to murder or something. They get away with a lot. Some of these like true crime people are not, it's not true. I mean, they just should look into these. Some of the stuff is readily available. It's amazing. It's the same thing with Tim Pool. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Joe Rogan. Those guys should know better, honestly, for for how much information's out there. Absolutely. If you, it's just interesting to me that people who who actually talk about innocence fraud can accept an in a case of innocence fraud very easily without looking into it. That blows my mind when that happens. But it's the, how good the evidence seems to be in, in these kind of YouTube videos and these kind of people like Bob Ruff and Murder with My Husband, how strong the evidence has to do with whose evidence it is. So if it's the defense's evidence, so they're skeptical about all story, Simon, that being a false confession, even though Porter sued and got not a dime for, his, for all his torture in prison. But right, Simon's right. confession, they're not sure about his about that that was a false confession because it's from the other side. It's not Porter. But uh, eyewitnesses implicating Porter, they're hugely suspicious and the police should be looked at with suspicion. Right. And the two eyewitnesses who said that they were the, or two witnesses who said I, I was with Porter that night. They're hugely important, even though they were destroyed on the stand. So the things, so that how good the evidence is, is just depends on whose evidence it is. Right. No, it is incredible. And the whole, uh, you know, a Taylor story, it was kind of Anthony Porter, sorry. It was, uh, he had, he like never made any complaints about being tortured. But once he got out of jail, it was like, oh, I got railroaded, tortured, suffocated, bag over the head, all that stuff. You know, he's just like, I never heard that. Right. And that, that comes out with, uh, I was like, 
there's a great interview with a guy named Ricky Shaw, and I put it in the video description where he taught, he's in prison giving the interview in Chicago, and he's saying, look, it is known that you can make certain claims about the police, especially this officer Burge, and get payouts. It is known. So once somebody gets a little bit of money from a payout, um, then everybody, you know, who was arrested in that area will once a part of the a part of a piece of the pie. It's a really interesting interview. I encourage you to watch it. But <laughs> it's just like how many of these frauds before someone is gonna talk about this? It's not just the I mean it's usually on the left tends to be more accepting of the uh, innocence project and the movement at all. But certainly enough Republicans have gotten in on it too. Fox News, Newsmax, nobody will talk about this story. And it's huge. It's, it's huge. a huge story. It's mm -hmm. a, an example. It's a microcosm of the whole innocence uh, fraud movement. It really is. And I think that, uh, so uh, what's, what's it? Taylor didn't get the money. Porter didn't get the money. But mm -hmm. see, I was, uh, Simon had a settlement in 2018, undisclosed sum. So he actually won. I bet he got and some money. Never mind. Good for him. Yeah, I'm glad he did because that was, it's horrific. I mean, this is a horrific injustice that people like the Innocence Project should be screaming about, but because it's their own people, they're not going to say anything. And if anything, they're going to rewrite it and claim it as a big triumph. <laughs> but it should have shut the Innocence Project down. And every and another kind of interesting aspect of this story is the kids being what I would call groomed in these classes. Like I meet law students in court and every single one of the law students I've met in court, and this is not a scientific study, but every single one of them wants to become a defense attorney. I have not met one person who wants to become a prosecutor. Interesting. So this is where they, they get a love for it. One of the women who was on this team as a student is now running the mid Atlantic innocence project, which you would wow. think if you were involved in something like this, you would never want to have anything to do with a wrongful conviction movement again, or I wouldn't, but there she is running the whole show, right? Having been one of these students who freed uh, Anthony Porter who died, you know, of a heroin overdose, allegedly <laughs> a pimp. It's not, you know, they always say that they're going to do great things uh, if they were on the outside and then they get on the outside and look at Damien Eccles. Right. What's he done? Bunch of magic, uh, occult books. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> right. One of the crazy things is Chiolino's like also involved with uh, Amanda Knox case. A lot of people, I didn't know that until right. I was reading through this stuff. He was a big What's figure it? in the Amanda Knox case and he would give a lot of interviews for her and say it was, you know, the worst the worst conviction investigation he'd ever seen, those kind of things. These experts have a lot of weight. We've talked about Cyril Wecht, uh, and I'm thinking of the other one who's the turtle expert. Help me. Oh, in the West Memphis uh, 3K. Spitz? Spitz. Thanks, Werner Spitz. He, I mean, his theory about the turtles is crazy, but I think I got a comment like, how could you go against the great Werner Spitz? Just you, you... <laughs> How yeah, could right. you ever question like total appeal to authority? So right, he was a defense expert though. I mean, he had a good one. I mean, yeah, they nobody ever heard of turtle predation until he came up with it. So oh no, and they repeat it like, oh yeah, it's turtle predation. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, did you turtle think about how that might work? Came out of the water and then bit off uh branch's penis and then jumped back in and then he bled out. Like that's what you'd have to literally believe. There's another case that's a Cali um, it's a North Carolina case from Tim Hennis, who was uh, in the I believe the army, and he was ado he adopted a dog um, from Kathy Eastburn was her name, and she was murdered and and two of her kids and just it was a horrific thing raped and, and murdered her kids, and they just left the and the killer just left this tiny baby barely survived alone for very dehydrated and he got tried and convicted then they somehow his conviction got overturned 
he got uh, tried again and he was acquitted. Then DNA comes on the scene. They test the DNA inside um, Catherine East, Eastburn. And it turns out to be, lo and behold, it's Tim. It's a match to Tim Hennis. And in the meantime, there's been a TV movie with Ricky Schroeder called <laughs> Innocent Victims. It's still on YouTube if you want to watch it. But the people involved in that case, one of them, the memory expert, she still teaches it like it's a case of wrongful conviction. Wow. So it's like they never will admit, it's like a movement that never says guilt. They just can't apply it. They don't like that word guilt. This made, was made into a movie too, right? This whole story, I forgot what the name of it was. There was, was a movie about All Stories Diamond? Or no, Anthony yeah, Porter's Innocence? I don't know, I haven't Besides seen the Besides Murder though. in the Park, you mean? Yeah, there was a, there was a movie that was mentioned in the document. Gone in the Night. Oh God, Gone that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, but it just doesn't seem like this will ever end. I don't know how this kind of uh, mis and disinformation. I guess one guy's misinformation is another guy's disinformation, or whatever. I don't know, but this uh, just it's not stopping. These people who can't be properly informed about these court cases. I guess they wouldn't have a career, right? I mean, if, no, if it's they... a great, these are great stories. They just happen to be totally untrue. And it's not just that they're totally untrue. It's at the same time, you are promoting the innocence and the release of someone incredibly dangerous and re-victimizing the victim's family again. So, I mean, you're really playing with fire when you, when you do these right. things. Do you think that they don't acknowledge someone like Tim Hennis and they still teaching it like it, like Elizabeth Loftus, the memory expert, still teaching it like it's an exoneration? Because you really can't, as an innocent expert or someone involved in this movement, you really can't even be wrong once. Once you're wrong about someone's innocence once, you've lost your credibility. Is that? That's a good point. That, that what might it be it. Is like that you what can't it go back. That might be it. I wouldn't be surprised, especially for some of those professionals who rely upon their kind of uh, integrity, gravitas, that might be the issue. But I think it's a good money. Like Serial made millions for that girl, whatever her name was. Like these Sarah people, Koenig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they put them on the map, put them on flashy. Plus they get the, the adulation, like, just like you said, these people are doing the, the Lord's work and getting people who were innocent out of jail. <laughs> It's really right. incredible. The public they consider the same thing with the West Memphis Three. I mean, mm-hmm. holy smokes. Less than 10% of the people understand they're guilty, like out there in the world. Everybody else thinks like they were railroaded. So apparently a lot of big YouTube channels I'm hearing are doing the West Memphis Three again. So yes, it seems like there is up. another push to really cement that myth again. Like it was slipping a little bit. We gotta re-cement that myth that. <laughs> which is just the paradise lost narrative. I mean, every time I get a comment that's supportive of the West Memphis three, I know that person has seen paradise right. lost. Right. The movies just like, uh, what is it? Fairbank said, thank God for HBO. That'll, st- that'll stick. And I got to put that in my next version of the book. I was just right. like, what? Say what, what are you guys talking about? They made a ton of money off of obfuscating a case. So I think it's really just an industry. It's part of the innocence fraud complex is the mm-hmm. media and inter- so-called entertainment infotainment is to uh, it's, it's a good storyline for those people. Like there's so many fake storylines out there now. Like how, how could you have a really good, you know, six part series on Netflix if you just knew they were guilty right off the bat. Okay. He was it. This is a court guilty done. Right. You have to kind of <laughs> tease the audience. Right. Like, right. I mean, okay, uh, you know, Anthony Porter was in the park. He's violent. He had a gun. He shot him both in the head. And then he got busted. Six people saw him done. Next, let's go on with our lives, right? Right. But I was thinking about when they see us. It's just, it's not that they make it a little dramatic. They make it a little hard to believe that they have the DA there saying, round up all the Hispanic and black kids in New York City. That'd be a lot of kids. BS. How many do you? So it's just a wild story. And yet, I guess it resonates emotionally with people. I mean, can you imagine trying to, I don't know, put this on a t-shirt, <laughs> how this fraud went down? 
don't you know. know. You never know. I mean, nothing like, would surprise I freed me. an innocent man. Done. Done. Okay. Everything explained. Whole story. Yeah, that would be it's awesome if somebody would actually be that brazen. I actually spent time and energy freeing a guy. You know, guy who was actually guilty is probably more accurate, right? But what, what have we done the show on the Central Park Five? I've done shows on that, too. That was a cash cow. Um, um, making a murderer, same murderer. same kind of thing. And and a lot of times they, you know, they'll accuse somebody, they'll um, get a conviction overturned and just accuse somebody. And that other person, it will just be like, it's often the person, like in this case, All Story Simon's name came up. And that's exactly who the journalism team you know, landed on all story, Simon, what a coincidence. The one, alt the alternative suspect in this case from years ago is now the right guy. Like what a coincidence, but without ever, without ever convicting them, which I think is so weird. So these things are, so they're kind of like convicted in the court of public opinion, but legally nobody did it. It just sort of sits there un untried and tested. Do you think that with the internet, we're getting used to these kind of like amazing big stories, incredible stories. Yeah. But like uh, I said, don't you think that's what they have to get out there is to try to, you know, hook people in as these incredible stories. I think that that's it. I think that that's part of the sensationalization of uh, true crime, crime process. I mean, look at the careers off of these other shows, you know, CSI and, law and order and things like that. So I think this is probably just part of that, but they're just not as, they don't have that integrity to the process that took place to convict these people. I think was really the problem. Hey, as long as the enemies are right, like, oh, you got an anti-cop story? Okay, great. You know, right. full steam ahead. Were you watching the Twitter, um, the Twitter stuff with Matt Taibbi at all? The, that a little hearing? bit, a little bit of the Twitter files, yeah. I just find it very interesting that Matt Taibbi, who went to school with my brother. <laughs> It is now was the darling of the left of uh, takes on the Twitter. I don't know if it started before this, but he takes on the Twitter files. And now he's like Elon Musk lackey, the worst nice. guy in the world. You know, it just seems like that's the new way to argue. We're not really even arguing. We're not even debating facts. We're just throwing insults at, at people who don't have the right opinion. I was just I shocked by that. I mean, it's a much more serious issue. The Twitter files is huge. It's about your constitutional rights. It's about the Bill of Rights. It's whether the rule of law of the government uh, actually functions because they're involved in censoring people with real information. They busted mm -hmm. like so many professors and, and threw them out for whatever reasons. Fascistic, I would say fascistic if it was based upon big farmers' advice. So it's, it's it concerns everybody. So I would say that uh, it's not even a matter of right or left. The Bill of right. Rights is not right or left, people. Come on, get it together. It's about man against the state. Get a grip. Right. It's not and democratic what, or republic. That's what Matt Taibbi was testifying. He said, what I discovered in the Twitter files is that the right and the left were both censored. And I thought, well, is are the Democrats going to run with that? No. <laughs> no. It just got... It just it just got buried again. Yeah, it's a shame. It's so it's super important. I was censored. I've been kicked all over the internet, so I know exactly what happened. Like, uh, I mean, YouTube, it's intense. You know, yeah. things like this are promoted. Other things without the right message are are censored. I think almost all of my Madeline McCann um, are either partially demonetized or fully. So I, certain things seem to. I haven't fully understand, but I don't even think you're on YouTube anymore, are you? I don't even post there anymore. I need to. I'll start. I'll start another version three, but yeah, no, I'm not really. I'm on Rockfin, which actually hasn't censored me. Spotify. Mm -hmm. I should. I really should be uh, streaming to Rumble, but I'm really kind of just focusing on podcasts. I've got a couple projects. What? So what's going? Where can you? I'm just gonna. What are you working on lately? What's uh, what's going on at the William Ramsey investigation? I'm gonna finish a documentary on. There's a lot of kind of things that have happened with the far right, the occulted far right. They're still around. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm gonna finish a documentary on that, and I have a couple of book projects. Uh, should be done really in the next couple of months. So that'll be good. That would be good. You used to make a lot of documentaries. I did well over uh, over COVID. I think I put out three. 
think I put out three. People oh, are going wow. back because of all these smiley face killing crimes that are happening in Chicago and Austin, which have really blown up. Like on Facebook, there's a Facebook page called the Lady Bird Lake Killer. So they haven't termed it the smiley face killer, but the bodies that are popping up in Austin, people are watching the documentary I did in 2017, which is the smiley face killers who was abducting, torturing, and murdering so, college age men. Yes, you can. So for people that don't know, um, what is the smiley face killer theory? Well, it was just given that name from two guys, Gilbertson and Gannon, who were independent researchers who came across this phenomenon of young men disappearing out of bars later to be found in water, often past the time when they should have been found after lengthy searches. And it's been going on probably uh, for 20 years at least. And uh, so it got the name Smiley Face Killers because they had some correlation between finding a spray-painted smiley face near where they think the body was put in water, not where the body was found. So. That's how it got its name. It's really just the phenomenon of young men disappearing and be, later being found in water. And this has been happening in Chicago now over the last six months. I think there's like 10 bodies. So they're calling it a Chicago serial killer. And the same thing's happening in Austin right now. So there's been like five or six deaths in a back to back to back, all found in Lady Bird Lake. And uh, so it's kind of resurged a bunch of newer researchers, people I've never heard their names before. Like I was in that community for a while but now there's like new people kind of interested so they're going back and looking at my stuff and uh, so be careful out there be careful so has anything really meaty come up um meaty evidence that points to anybody well i don't nothing to my knowledge i have to get in i can't i got to get back into their facebook page and look Mm -hmm. through it but there was an abduction they haven't found his body yet it was a kid by the name of seamus gray in north chicago waukegan i think it was so he'll probably be found in the next week or two in the water. But um, it's all the same MO. It's the same thing. Young guy leaves, acts strange, uh, like they got drugged, wanders off, can't find his body. Most of the bodies, even in cold weather, they should be found within a week or two. But I think Seamus Gray disappeared on St. Patrick's Day. So that was the 13th of February or 16th. What was it? No, 14th, sorry. So, um, yeah, so... Things are happening. There's still this still phenomenon is still happening. In that, uh... Did you hear about the New York case of three men who were going to gay bars and drugging drugging men and robbing them, killing? No, I did not killing them. Yeah, it was really yeah. scary. I would Very... be surprised if, if some people who've been caught for crimes were not caught for other crimes. Like not all of their crimes were caught. Uh, so that may be these guys may be involved in other stuff than that. I didn't know when were they arrested. How soon? Just like a couple of weeks, like had to oh, be a week or two ago. Yeah, send me that um, link. I didn't miss it. Yeah. Does anybody have any questions for, for William or myself before we go about this crazy? So, I mean, it's just like this Never intense. Ended. Like one time her, her husband says, he says something like, um, it's, it's hard that the key eyewitness hasn't retracted his statement. You know, he's still like, he did it, meaning the key witness in the Anthony Porter case is still saying Anthony Porter Porter did it Mm. innocent. And it's, you know, it's too bad. An innocent person has to go to jail for X amount of time. If he hasn't done anything, uh, what you mean by hasn't done anything, which is, uh, meaning you've hasn't killed two people. (laughs) That's what you mean. And that's the kind of vague language you often see in the innocence movement the worst mistake he ever made. Well, that mistake uh, killed a baby. Right. Like dead, there's dead people. Right. Right. It's just, it's always a minimization of the crime, a minimization of responsibility. And it's, you know, uh, her her husband has heard the story for about 15 minutes and already he's decided that, that Anthony Porter is innocent. So how did that happen? I wonder if, it's just sort of like these investigating innocence that, you know, we're, right. they're not investigating the case. They're investigating innocence. Well said. That's very true. Like it's very strange. We had that same thing when we were talking about Poole and, and Eccles, like, why doesn't he look into the case? Why doesn't he just take a deep breath and say, I'm going to look at this objectively. What, what were these people saying? Like they don't even do that. So it's some kind of like veil or shield in their critical thinking that, uh, they don't take that next step. Maybe that's kind of like what it happens when you get, I don't know, you get 
too much ideology, too much propaganda. <laughs> it's Stop so thinking. crazy with the West Memphis Three. It's like they let years go by hanging out with Johnny Depp, doing nothing. And now it's urgently important <laughs> now that they're off parole for this DNA to be retested when they still have the DNA results from 2011 that are just sitting there that they've never released. It, I, it just seems so much like a PR move to make it look like they're yeah. desperately trying to solve the crime and clear their name without doing anything. It's right, without doing another it. Right. Hand. Without doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I like the little involvement. Oh, maybe it's the police this time. That was a first. So there were a lot of pretty uh, interesting statements. People should go back and listen to our conversation about Eccles and Poole because he, he exposed a lot of stuff about himself that I think that his PR people probably not, not be happy about. Yeah, he said he's only he only does interviews with people who are sympathetic. So that right, and that they were savages back then. That he hated the world. You hate everything. I hate. I hate. I hate. I hate. I hate. Said that over and over again. I love Crowley. You know, I mean, just like really real whoppers. And then the blasphemy at the end. You can be Jesus. <laughs> there it is, man. All there. I posted up. Uh, one West Memphis Three observer said he thought that on the View, which is. You've always you always say that that was the most skeptical interview the West Memphis Three ever did of the View. Joy Behar is sitting there with her, you know. Uh, this guy pointed out that Joy Behar is sitting there with her arms crossed and looking very tense, sitting next to Damian Eccles. Have you seen any interview where Damian Eccles gets asked a critical question or or gets any kind of pushback or any of them, any of the three? Have you, have you seen I've seen a lot. Like Unfortunately, that? I've seen a lot here and in Europe of him being interviewed, and they're all softballs. There's never really any critical question, except that view. It was the black lady on there asked him, who, will, who did it? Or something <laughs> like that, I think she said. And I think Judge Perino or whatever, I, I think she should have known better. Like, let me really go look into this. Even a cursory, like, you know, West Memphis through for dummies overlook would have helped her, but she didn't seem to have that. So, no. The answer is no. And I've, I have, a. I mean, it's been like 10 years for me of following the West Memphis Three. It's been a long time, like decade long, uh, you know, overview. But yeah, mm -hmm. they, they select their outlets very carefully. Yeah, I remember when Jason um, Baldwin went live and there's a bunch of us in the comment section and boy, were we ignored. <laughs> Our <laughs> questions weren't answered that night. If if you go to the Tim Pool, I mean, the Tim Pool Eccles comments on YouTube, I would say about a fourth said, yeah, this guy's a killer and he's done it. And he's guilty and you're a fool, Tim Pool. So there, that's the most, the percentage of really kind of uh, people who understand the West Memphis Street case is much higher in those comments than I've ever seen. It used to be just kind of one out of 10, if that. But people were pissed. People were like, I'm never watching you again. You're an idiot. How do you do this? Oh, yeah. yeah. You just, you the pushback that you faced, I don't think people could imagine. Ditto with oh, me wow. and the Anand Syed. Oh, yeah. You, you've got a bad, killer yeah. in the beginning. I was really out there with, there's just a few of us in the beginning, and they were vicious. Um, yeah, really not vicious. so much now. If you waited out long enough, <laughs> it all comes back full circle. That's right. So, I think the tide is still turning. It's still going this way. More and more people are like, well, they look at this. Oh, man, we got fooled. I think the, the, West West, that, yeah. the West Memphis three, definitely. But as far as innocence fraud, I think it's going a one-way direction to enormous. And I'm getting to be a smaller and smaller. And the movement is getting bigger and bigger, like this giant monster. So it's the innocence fraud complex, man. It's like an industrial complex. It's not a joke. It I mean, really you can real. just make millions on these cases. I don't think the killers make so much as the lawyers, but just right. they're making they're making a killing, literally. So they're literally making a killing. What was the payout on the Central Park Five? It was like forty-five Wasn't it, million, sixty-five. It was I know they wanted. Didn't they want eighty million or know, something crazy, and they got twenty or forty? Yeah, the lawyers probably take fifty percent right off the top. Mm -hmm. I think New York has some kind of funny thing where it comes right out of the tax dollars, too. The guy was telling me about that. Oh, that delights me. Yeah, <laughs> Knowing that my tax dollars are going to right. guilty. So there killers. goes, okay, 40 million. There goes uh, 20 school buses. 
They don't get those. Oh, oh. So, um, I think we've done it. So <laughs> where can people uh, find you? William Ramsey Investigates on iTunes, Spotify. Website is William Ramsey Investigates. And then all my documentaries, if you want to see the ones about the smiley face killers, the two, you can go to Vimeo. Just type it in there, William Ramsey. You should be able to see them. So uh, I, one more thing. What advice would you have for these uh, YouTubers? <laughs> the mur murder with my husband. Yeah, don't read off the internet. Go get a book or actually get the actual real court case and read it. I don't know what she was, what her notes were or whatever it was on the iPad. Do you know what she was referencing? I, I do. She said that like uh, Chicago Tribune. I mean, she had a bunch of, the, of her sources and they so were, I, I think Wikipedia might have been one of them, but don't quote me on that. But they were like that, like Chicago Tribune, The Appeal, but the damning parts of The Appeal were left out. <laughs> but A lot of these court cases are available online. You should be right. able to do it ProPublica or whatever. I can't remember the, the court reader or whatever is... Uh... And all story Simons too. His his um the appeals, all that stuff right. is available. Still so on there. Go those to are court. All, they all yeah. really start off with the fact pattern, right? So the, the court has assessed the facts and that's it. So check those out. I agree. All right, guys. Right, have a great um weekend. Please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast. Like this video. Thank you so much. And subscribe to uh Check out the links in the description. Subscribe to Martin Pribe's um, new podcast. It's, it's uh, going to have a lot of, already having a lot of good information. All right. Have a good one, guys. Hold on.